Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Saturday, May 14th. 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. The top House Republican is subpoenaed by members of Congress. They are specifically asking for testimony, depositions. And NATO is looking like it could get bigger in the aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Both Finland and Sweden are close and valued defense partners of the United States and of NATO. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Kevin McCarthy has been served. So have four other House Republicans. The select committee investigating last year's January 6th Capitol riot took an unprecedented step this week, issuing subpoenas to the House Republican leader and four other sitting members of Congress, Jim Jordan, Mo Brooks, Scott Perry and Andy Biggs. Biggs, an Arizona Republican, responded shortly after the news broke on the Fox News Channel. I think the committee is illegitimate. I thought it was that way. When it started, committee members say Biggs and other Republicans have knowledge about events before and on January 6th and the activities related to the transfer of presidential power. This notion that I somehow uh, was involved in planning a rally, not true. Planning people coming to the the Capitol, not true. I've denied that hundreds of times. Committee member Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin says all five Republicans were asked to testify voluntarily and repeatedly refused to answer questions. He says the idea is not to set a new precedent. The precedent we want to establish with our work is that uh, people should not try to overthrow the electoral and political institutions of the United States. Precedent setting or not, the subpoenas from a congressional committee to sitting members of Congress is seen as an escalation of the January 6th investigation as public hearings potentially in prime time are set to resume next month. So we start there this week with my colleague covering Capitol Hill, Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Well, the 1-6 committee has wanted to talk to these members, Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Mo Brooks of Alabama. You get the idea here for a long time. Uh, they have taken great pains, those members, to undercut the committee, saying it's not legitimate. Uh, saying they won't reply. Uh, in fact, Mo Brooks tweeted just about a week ago that, uh, you know, he wouldn't help Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and Liz Cheney, a member of the committee, Republican Congresswoman from Wyoming, he wouldn't help them cross the street, he said. He said, if they want to hear from me, they're going to have to issue a subpoena. Well, guess what? The 1-6 <laughs> committee took him up on that. So they issued a subpoena. Now, this is why it's rare. The House and Senate have their own internal systems where they can basically deal with their people. Article one, section five of the Constitution says that the House and Senate have the right to discipline their own members. So in other words, if you have an ethics committee investigation or you have some sort of an inquiry or you need to hear from somebody, they are sworn members of this body. They usually go and talk to them. They might not like it, but they usually do. 
Well, this is where it's unprecedented because you have these members saying the committee is not legitimate, which is strange because the House of Representatives voted to create the committee. And the Constitution says that the House and Senate, again, Article One, Section five, can do what it wants to do in these matters. So guess what? They they voted democratically, small d, to do this and went ahead and issued the subpoenas. Now, this is where it gets tricky. If you issue somebody, a sitting member, a subpoena or an outsider, a subpoena and they don't comply, the House or Senate could then vote to hold them in contempt of Congress. And we've had that happen even in the one six investigation. They did that with Steve Bannon. And they did that with Mark Meadows, the former White House chief of staff. Well, what happens next? If you hold somebody in contempt of Congress, you send this down to the Justice Department and they can then prosecute you if they decide to do so. They have done so with Steve Bannon. His trial starts in late July. The DOJ has not done so with Mark Meadows. So could you see where you have the executive branch? you know, basically being prosecuted here by the, you know, it's the former executive branch by the, uh, uh, by the, uh, the, the legislature. That's a, that's a problem. And having the current executive branch make that decision. Well, so, you know, the you, other you, question you, I, I sort of had about that, Chad, is isn't there sort of like a speech and debate clause too? like, absolutely. At what, at what point, that's in the Constitution, at what, at what right? point, I, I guess, are you sort of as a member of the House, right, you sort of have privileges that, that, Right. Uh, is it immunity? Is that kind of what you would call it? Well, you, you, you don't want to have interference with members of Congress doing their job. And that's why their papers and their speeches and, and, and documents and everything else is protected, especially from the executive branch. So if you send this down to the Justice Department, you know, another branch mm-hmm. of government, they don't have as much right to go through your stuff as the legislative branch of government does. Because right. guess what? You're a member there. Here's the other problem. They are specifically asking for testimony, depositions. They ask them to come and and talk in in closed Mm -hmm. door settings and maybe later could even ask them to appear at some of these public hearings that we're going to have in June. Well, the issue at hand is that if you are, are trying to hold them in contempt, okay, we don't know if the DOJ would move there. The history on this is that the only two times that Congress has ever gone after a member but gone after documents and things. Bob Packwood, the late Republican senator from Oregon, the Senate was investigating him in 1993 on allegations of sexual harassment. He eventually resigned. They were going to vote to kick him out. So they but he had written about all these things in his diaries, which were voluminous. Fascinating thing. If you ever want to go read Bob Packwood's diaries, actually. So that's one thing. And they subpoenaed that. And in 2010, when the House Ethics Committee was investigating Charlie Rangel, the former congressman from New York City, they actually issued a subpoena for his financial records. So that's a little bit different here. But this is why this is unprecedented. If there were any sort of uh, like dispute here or even punishment, right, or a sanction uh, that the House sort of put on its members, that would come from the Ethics Committee? And it would be, well, what, it, like a fine? Ostensibly, a you, you, you could do that. But but again, you don't even have to go through the, the ethics committee. I mean, you could put a resolution on the floor to say that you are expelling somebody, which needs two thirds. Well, that's you a could huge put a resolution on the floor. Need, yeah. 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 I mean, but the, the, the three typical modes of discipline in the House are on the on the high end there, as I say, you know, expulsion. You start, though, with reprimand. And in the middle, you have censure. And in fact, that's what Charlie Rangel got at the end of his ethics investigation. He was censured by the House of Representatives. I guess what I'm getting at it in sort of the long way around here is 
like if these Republicans say, I'm going to ignore this subpoena, there's not a whole lot of options here. I guess that's what you've been saying that that House Democrats or this committee would have. There's two things at work here. And I did a story back in, I think it was early February here on the TV side. And my neighbor had a pretty cool gym in his house. He actually put this together in his garage. And we did the TV stand up in his garage with me pumping iron, because what I wanted to show is Congress always says, oh, what we're going to do, we're going to subpoena people. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, they're, they're always these big threats. It's like these it's like Jack LaLanne going down to the Santa Monica Pier and, and posing, you know, which way to the beach, you know, and you see the biceps flexing and everything. And they don't really have that much power. And that was the point of that story, because even if even let's just say even if they did hold them in contempt of Congress, and even if they did prosecute them, you still don't get the information necessarily. That's right. why there's not a lot of energy behind this. And, and you could also why, have a federal judge sort of toss this out, right? And say, because you he would say, these he's going to cite that federal judge, he or she would cite Article 1, Section 5, which I talked about, which is where it says Congress can discipline its own members and say, Congress, if you have a problem with Mr. McCarthy or Mr. Brooks or Mr. Jordan, Handle it yourself. Why are we involved? Right. And that's how that I would see. go. Now, two other things that are very, very important in this. The first one is, why are they doing this now? Because mm -hmm. maybe they will issue, they will say, well, we invite these members to appear before these committees when they have the open hearings in June, and they will say no. And so what they will do, and this is going to be a lot of stagecraft because you're going to have these, uh, supposedly some of these in early June in prime time. And what they will do is they will put these little placards on the table, Mr. McCarthy, Mr. Brooks, you know, there'll be a, a congressional notebook there with a pen and a, a, a water glass with the beads of sweat, you know, developing. <laughs> and then they'll say, oh, Mr. McCarthy is not here. Mr. Brooks, Mr. Per they're all not here. What happened? So that's the show. Now, the, here's the real politic of this. So they're trying to curate this narrative going into these public hearings. Now, guess what? There is a very good chance, and this is not going out on a limb here, that Republicans will win control of the House of Representatives. And what have they promised to do, Jared? They are going to hold the Biden administration. Uh, they're going to look at the border. They're going mm -hmm. to go after uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS mm -hmm. secretary. Uh, they're probably going to hold federal hearings on the great baby formula investigation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you name it. And guess what? You're going to have people who won't comply and mm -hmm. they are going to issue subpoenas. And doesn't this put and this is the problem here. Now, this is why they've argued this is an illegitimate committee, which is not really the case at all, because I told you Congress can yeah. the House has the right to construct itself. And Democrats said the same thing about the Benghazi committee, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but you're going to have a problem here where and it's not like there wasn't cooperation. Oh, they didn't like it. But yeah. there was respect and cooperation. There's always this natural tension between Article one and section Article one and Article two of the Constitution, because Congress has oversight responsibilities over the Biden administration uh, and over any administration. But this is going to be a problem if they're going to be hauling in all these witnesses or attempting to do so. And somebody says, no, 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 we're not going to comply with your subpoena because Mr. McCarthy didn't uh, comply with a subpoena from the own body that he is the Speaker of the House. So and, and I will put money on the table right now at the Bellagio in Las Vegas <laughs> that about late January or early February, we will be having this very conversation because that will have happened if it's DHS or FDA or Fauci in the CDC. That will be the issue. Well, I mean, and you've also heard Republicans in Congress 
one and you know say listen democrats in congress need to answer for what requests were made weren't made on january 6th before january 6th so Mm -hmm. they could send a subpoena to nancy pelosi and that's why this is getting to be dangerous because you are setting a dangerous precedent you know Mm -hmm. and and she might not even be a member of the body you know, this time next year. You know, we'll have that conversation, time. I think, when we Citizen. get closer to November, but it's a fair point that you bring up. Yes, yes, um, yes. Let's switch gears now, because the, the, the other um, you know, big development, uh, at least from a Senate Democrat's perspective, uh, was this procedural vote, a few steps removed from an actual vote on legislation that Democrats say would codify Roe v. Wade, that critics say goes far beyond codifying Roe v. Wade. At any rate... That vote failed. We knew that vote was going to fail, Chad. I think most of us knew that the outcome of the vote was going to be 49 to 51 days before the vote was taken. It was 49-51, Joe Manchin joining Democrats to uh, block debate from even beginning. What was gained, if anything, by, by Chuck Schumer? Well, he wanted to respond in the moment to try to gin up his base, uh, you know, pro-choice Democrats, because, again, they're going to face tough challenges in the Senate races, in the House mm-hmm. races, at the polls, and say, we are doing all we can. How dare the Supreme Court do this? And let's, you know, let's not talk about gas prices and inflation or baby formula. Let's talk about <laughs> what's going on at the Supreme Court and that they are going to undercut Roe versus Wade. And this supposedly will help a little bit. Well, there's a problem with this. And Paul Kane from The Washington Post mm-hmm. wrote a very good piece this week saying that, you know, some of these messaging votes, you don't really get the bang for your buck that they used to have because you're kind of preaching to the converted already. If you're having a messaging vote, you're either trying to make people on the other side put them in, in a tough spot or mm-hmm. make them look bad or bolster your people. So that's essentially what he's trying to do with this. And the problem that when you run into these show votes here, which is exactly what this was, right. they just don't have the same oomph that they once did. Uh, why is that? Well, because you're talking to voters and you're, t- you know, about senators who are already in pretty safe seats. That mm-hmm. doesn't get you very much. I mean, I mean, look at this. You have six senators, three Democrats, three Republicans who are in states that favored the other candidate, the other, I'm sorry, the other party's presidential nominee in the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. You have Sherrod Brown in Ohio, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, John Tester in Montana. Those are the Democrats. Then you have mm-hmm. Susan Collins in Maine, Ron Johnson and Patrick Toomey. Now, so does this work a little bit with Susan Collins? Maybe, but she's not up right now. Does it work a little bit in Pennsylvania? Maybe. Pat Toomey is not running for reelection, but right. that seat is in play. Uh, Sherrod Brown is not up this year. Does it help Tim Ryan, the congressman from Northeast Ohio against J.D. Vance? Maybe. Don't know. But it, but you see that, you know, what you're getting out of those votes is not a lot of political. Uh, oomph. I mean, we talk about it for, well, a few, for a few days, but, you know, does and, this really have lasting impact? And that's a good question, too, because I think there are those that have asked, listen, there are proposals out there. Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are two Senate Republicans who support codifying Roe v. Wade into law. They have written a proposal that would do that. They argued that what the Democrats put forward went beyond that, that it expanded abortion. It did not keep uh, the current uh, Roe v. Wade precedent in place. But that's the vote they'd like to have. That would be a bipartisan piece of legislation, Chad. Why wouldn't Democrats move forward on that? Well, you see, and that's where there's been a lot of criticism here, that, that, that the Democrats are too locked into this whole idea of codifying Roe, as is. 
mm-hmm. uh, that would basically be an, a, a national protection, uh, you know, to codify road that abortion would be legal. Um, you, you know, what what Collins and, and Tim Kaine, the Democratic Center mm-hmm. from Virginia, have supposedly talked about is something that's a little more narrow, but so far and bipartisan. And, and would but write Chuck in, Schumer, I think, some some religious exemptions, moral exemptions for, for hospitals, things like that. Right, right. But Chuck yeah. Schumer has been reluctant to go down that road so far. And, and you know, this is where you get into this interesting question. Uh, and this is made its way into Supreme Court cases and has made its way into legislation sometimes is what is viability right. you know, of, of the fetus. And so that's right. something that people have to kind of argue about and figure out what, you know, what Where is would viability. you set the standard? Yeah. Yes, Where, like exactly. how many weeks? And, and that's why I asked the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, earlier this week. I said, you know, you've told us a lot about what you think the Democratic mm-hmm. bill. This is the bill that they failed to break on the filibuster the other day, what you think it would do. You have not told us your position on what you think the Senate should do. And he said, well, you know, we all think that it should go back to the states. But there have been intimations, including those from McConnell, that a national abortion ban is on the table. Now, there's a problem with that. Why? 60 votes. It's about the math. And that even if the Republicans in the Senate do really well in the next midterm, which is not as clear as the House, frankly, I mean, there's a much better chance that Democrats retain control of the Senate. You're not going to get to 60 votes. And Mitch McConnell is right, is that there is nothing that can pass the Senate in, unless they get rid of the filibuster, which he is pledging not to do. And he has reiterated right. that this is for legislation, mm-hmm. that the filibuster is locked in. And as long as you have that filibuster, you can't get to 60 votes. And this is why you have some of these issues. And there's about literally a universe of two or three of them that never change because you can't get 60 votes. Abortion is one of them. Firearms is another. You can't get 60 mm-hmm. votes and thus these issues continue and sit there. D.C. statehood. We're going much further mm-hmm. down on the list in terms of controversial We've issues. We've seen it on immigration, uh, too. Puerto Rico. Immigration, immigration yeah. would fall into that higher universe along with guns yeah. and, 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 and abortion. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like the magic three. And, you know, were you I, I'll finish with this because that was a pretty definitive answer. I was standing next to you when you had that exchange with uh, Leader McConnell. Were you surprised how definitive he was that we are not going to change the 60 vote threshold even on abortion? Yes, a little bit, because he I mean, he has said that before, but he really wanted to get that out there. I think that that probably had two purposes. Number one, to reiterate that, but also try to dampen the temperature, you know, diminish the Mm -hmm. temperature on his side that they were going to get rid of abortion because, you know, that's not what he told USA Today just a couple of days ago. He sort of raised this issue that it could come up. Yeah. Right. And And so he's the White House and Democrats said, see, we told you so. This is why we need this law. Right. Right. And and, and so but he's also you see, you got to remember Mitch McConnell is always playing multi-level chess here. (laughs) He is daring. He is daring, Jared, the Democrats, if they can get 50 votes to get rid of the filibuster, mm-hmm. because then they can they the, and, and which would be foolhardy politically right now, because what they demonstrated in that vote is that they did not have the vote. Remember, that was a procedural vote. That was a right. filibuster vote. And it didn't they did get not, 50 votes. They didn't have 50 votes for that, right. let alone 60. And they didn't have 50 votes for the underlying issue. Right. So if Democrats were and we don't see why this would happen, because Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin and a few others probably won't want to get rid of the filibuster. If they can't get rid of the filibuster, nothing happens. But if the Democrats do, you all bets are you off. Talk, you talk about the wager I made at Vegas, you know, the Bellagio <laughs> earlier. Guess what? 
I'll, I'll triple that one on this one. Double down. As, <laughs> as soon as the Republicans get, they will, and he will go back on that because he, Mitch McConnell, is always taking precedent of what the other side has done. Mm. <laughs> well, we'll wait for you to, to to place your bets, Chad. Uh, I always take my guidance from you, so I'll be right behind you uh, in line at, for uh, at, for my at the looking window. Absolutely, <laughs> that's right. All right, have a good weekend, Chad. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The U.S. could be getting some new allies. Not that Sweden and Finland have been considered anything but friends with the U.S. for the past several decades. But this week, both countries intensified internal talks about joining NATO. If that were to happen, it would be the first expansion of the alliance since North Macedonia became the 30th member in 2020. Montenegro joined three years earlier. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says the U.S. welcomes Sweden and Finland's applications, noting NATO's open-door policy. We, of course, will respect whatever decision they make. Uh, Both Finland and Sweden are close and valued defense partners of the United States and of NATO. With NATO membership, of course, comes a guarantee enshrined in the alliance's Article 5 mandate that an attack on one is an attack on all. Finland shares an 800-mile border with Russia. Alex Hogan is a Fox News correspondent based in London. She's recently reported from Ukraine and this week covered the debate about NATO gaining new members. Well, Finland this week has really announced a lot of new changes, both the president and the prime minister this week saying that they want a, an application for NATO without delay. And this is likely, if it is all approved, to be one of the quickest NATO enlargements ever. And, and that's because time is really of the essence in this matter, especially since Finland, when we're looking at the geography and the landscape of of what it means for this country right now, Finland shares more than 800 miles of border with Russia. Now, given everything that we've seen taking place within Ukraine in the last couple months, it's really putting more pressure on officials in Finland to reevaluate their relationships and what this could mean and what this war could mean, given that all across Europe, there is a sentiment of instability and fear of, of what could happen should this war flow out into other neighboring countries. Now, typically, when we're looking at a NATO expansion that could take anywhere from months to a year after the application has been submitted, it's likely going to be slightly different this time. NATO Secretary General, uh, he spoke out this week saying that the process of giving Sweden and Finland a membership would realistically happen quite quickly. We don't exactly have a timeline for how quickly that could be, but they Mm -hmm. expect it to be much faster than in previous cases. Let's talk a little bit about the process because uh, NATO has an open door policy. Uh, The White House Mm -hmm. has talked a lot about that, but it also has a consensus policy, right? So all 30 NATO countries would have to agree to allow Finland and Sweden in. Yeah, there has to be a consensus by all 30 of these members. And and what the criteria typically is, the nation that would want to become a part of this 30-member group would need to have currently good relations with the other allies. They would also need to be a democracy. Basically, in their words, they call it a functioning democratic political system. 
and they need to have a market economy, all other qualifications. They also need to have a military or armed forces that have to be up to par with the other membership countries. Uh, the other qualifications include needing to have fair treatment of minority populations within their own country, and they also have to pledge to resolve conflicts peacefully, which in essence is what NATO was created after World War II, essentially just to do. Let's talk a little bit, because I know that the prime minister of, of uh, Great Britain um, this week, basically, what, what did he basically tell Finland, listen, in the interim, we'll provide sort of mutual defense? What's, mm-hmm. I mean, because there, there are concerns, right, that if this process starts, Russia could take some sort of action, cyber, hybrid, whatever you have, and if they're not, if Finland is not a, a NATO ally, um, they don't really have that Article 5 guarantee of mutual aid, right? Exactly. So again, Article 5 is basically stating that any armed attack against one nation is an armed attack against all mm-hmm. nations. So had Ukraine been a member of NATO at the time on February 24th, essentially that would have triggered a response from all 30 of these countries. So given that Finland really is in this moment of, of jeopardy, if there should be an attack on their territory at this point, they would not have the response and the protection from these other countries. So. Prime Minister Boris Johnson went and met with the leaders of both countries and signed this mutual defense agreement, basically promising to defend both countries if they were to come under attack. And in this past week, we've seen and heard more comments from the Kremlin about their opinion on these conversations of Sweden and Finland joining NATO. And the Kremlin on Thursday basically said that there would be retaliatory steps in both in military and in technical nature. They didn't specify exactly what that would mean, but they said if these countries are to join NATO, that there would be a a response and countermeasures from Russia on these countries and on uh, on the world at at a whole as we look at the approach that Russia is taking on this. But again, no specific terms of what exactly that could mean. I know one of the things that has been talked about is Russia putting nuclear weapons in Kaliningrad, which is mm-hmm. Russian territory that is not connected to the rest of Russia. It is surrounded by Lithuania and Poland, um, Latvia on the Baltic Sea. Um, is that a, a real concern from NATO, uh, the the potentiality of, of nuclear weapons um, closer to, to sort of Uh, you know, Central Europe in in Kaliningrad? Well, this has been, of course, a major concern in the last several months as we're looking at what's transpired within Ukraine, the defense movements, the military movements, and these threats, and whether or not, frankly, to believe some of these threats. So it's a major concern, not only for NATO, but for the rest of Europe, uh, navigating what do our relationships look like, how do we move forward? How do we make sure that we're protected, uh, not only now, but in the future? So while these threats, of course, can't be confirmed of what could take mm-hmm. place, it's really putting a lot of pressure on NATO and other countries to reevaluate what allies they're relying on right now. And having been in Ukraine covering this war, yeah. talking with people there, they are just constantly questioning not only what is taking place on a day to day, but 
where this goes from here and what the relationships will look like, especially considering Ukraine itself is not a member of NATO. So had they been yeah. a member of NATO, none of this realistically to the scale would have transpired. And that's where I wanted to take this is Ukraine uh, has talked about um maybe not as forcefully as we've heard from Finland over the last couple of weeks, but has talked about perhaps joining NATO. That's been a big uh, concern of Russia. That's one of the reasons Russia has justified the action that it's taken. Um, the process for Ukraine to join NATO seems to be a much longer process than, say, a Finland or Sweden. Is it because of those governance requirements that you were laying out earlier? Well, yeah, there's a lot of, of course, these qualifications to join. And there was the potential for Ukraine to join NATO, especially back in the 2010 presidential election. There was the possibility of that taking place. Uh, it never came to fruition. And now, of course, we know that back earlier this year, the current president, um, Volodymyr Zelensky, has said that Ukraine will not join NATO. Now, all of that being said, there's, of course, the potential that that could happen. There was a lot of talk that that Ukraine would receive an acceptance to NATO. But at this point, realistically, it's just not going to happen anytime soon. Would that you talked about the comments by Boris Johnson. Have any other NATO mm -hmm. countries like the United States offered that to um, to Finland? Not to the same extent. Of mm. course, we have heard from the White House. The U.S. says that it will back a NATO application from both countries mm -hmm. if they apply. But this was a, a pretty big step in terms of securing that security and, frankly, just standing in solidarity with Finland and with right. Sweden in terms of, of what possibilities and, and what could happen in the future. The leaders of NATO countries meet uh, at the end of next month in Madrid. Mm -hmm. Is that a likely timeline for Finland and Sweden to sort of formally apply, join, votes on them joining? <laughs> How significant well, might that, that summit be? That will be a significant summit in the fact that likely if things continue as they are as of this week, that formal application could take place even sooner or at least formal announcement. Finland mm -hmm. is expected to announce its decision on Sunday. Uh, and that's, of course, after there was a little bit of time this week uh, for not only political leaders and parliament to oversee it. And Sweden is also expected to announce that decision on the same day. So that announcement could come sooner. The application, of course, uh, likely to be under review by the time of that next meeting. And the key expectation really to wait for, despite the fact that NATO says that this application and approval could happen very quickly. We know that these things do not move as quickly as people would like and as quickly as people are speaking about them. So hopefully for these countries, they're they're waiting to see if that could happen as soon as possible. When you get 30 countries in a room, I imagine there's going to be some discussion, no matter what the issue is. <laughs> of course, a lot of dialogue. And another key part of NATO is ensuring that these countries have the right to have the moment to speak about potentially not necessarily always having the same exact point of view, because all of these countries, of course, are bringing in their very diverse cultures, their very mm -hmm. diverse political backgrounds and their their economy and, and what that has to do and how that influences these political decisions. So that being said, it's likely not going to be a short or easy process. And the main thing to remember is that they do need to have this consensus in order for this to move forward.
Well, it is remarkable uh, development, nonetheless, as we talk about uh, the ripple effects of this Russian invasion of Ukraine and NATO now uh, looking to expand in, in a way that they haven't in an awfully long time. Appreciate, Alex, your reporting uh, from London and, of course, your reporting uh, that you did in Ukraine. It is so valuable. It is so important. And it is a tremendous and, and courageous work that you and your team have been doing. So thank you for that as well. Thank you very much. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington, it's the economy. New figures show inflation remains a serious strain on millions of Americans and new parents are struggling to find baby formula. We'll talk about both with Fox Business Network's Edward Lawrence in another test of Trump's endorsement strength next week in Pennsylvania. My colleague Jessica Rosenthal gets you set for the next round of primary races. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.